celebrate Easter together. And we're beginning today with what's historically known as Palm Sunday or what other people call it the triumphal entry. We're going to go back a little bit further in time than just 2,000 years ago. We're actually going to go back 4,000 years ago, and we're going to begin that as a foundation. The thought behind today in the entire service is to allow God to examine my heart, to examine your heart. Rather than just going through the motions of church, which, congratulations, you're here. Well done for being in church today. Is we want to leave as people that, God, you did something in my heart today. I'm different as a result. And I believe that comes from an, an openness and a willingness to say, God, I'm going to allow you to examine me today. Change me and mold me and shape me in the way that you see fit. Our principle for today goes back to a word that was introduced to us on Palm Sunday, and it is this. It's a very simple principle. Jesus said yes to Hosanna. Hosanna is a word that was used in the celebration of Jesus when he entered into Jerusalem and people were crying out, and it's a word that literally means, please save us. So we're going to get to that in a few minutes' time. So this morning I have three points we're going to try to be focused upon the fact that we want God to examine our hearts today. We have three points. The points are God's plan, which is redemption, God's lamb, which was examined or examination, and then God's man is salvation. You notice a plan, lamb, and, and man all rhyme, sort of. The first point is this. God's plan is a plan of redemption. We're going to go back four thousand years to a man named Abraham. And in the book of Genesis, we see God calling Abraham and his wife Sarah out from a land. And he says, go to a land that I'm going to show you. And Abraham and Sarah showed great faith. They went and journeyed and they arrived at what is now modern day Israel. And they arrived in this land as strangers with a simple promise. God said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Your descendants are going to be as many as the stars of the heaven and the sand of the sea. And then through you, the whole world will be blessed. Of course, Abraham and Sarah had no children. And they were not young people at the time. I had a birthday this week and my children are reminding me that I'm getting old, which are just rude children. As they remind me I'm getting old, as they, they try to find gray hairs in my head, and I just simply say, yes, I've named that one after you, and that one after you. But Abraham and Sarah, they were old. They were well beyond the child-bearing ages of, for, for normal parents. But God did something miraculous, and they had a son named Isaac. And God worked in Isaac's life. And as he grew and developed, God came to Abraham in Genesis chapter number 22. The first two verses says this. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Morah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Quick pause there. 
that middle of that verse, it says, take your son, your only son. We don't know exactly how old Isaac was at this time, but my understanding is he was probably around a teenager. He was old enough to know what was going on and to make a decision to submit to what God had planned for them. But Isaac did not know what was taking place in this regard. Abraham had just been told to take your son, the one that you love. Now, if you're next to your teenage children right now, and my teenage children are in the room right now, you can all admit, just keep your head really straight. Don't nod your head. But we can all admit, sometimes your teenage children are really hard to love. Sometimes they're thinking, they're really difficult to love them right now. You are just a difficult child. They grow out of it, I'm sure, someday. Harry says, take the son, and I like the fact that it says, you love. It's not like, take the son that you really can't stand right now and give him to God. And Abraham's going, thank you, God. I was tired of this one anyway. That's not what he says at all. He, you imagine the, the, the dilemma going on in Abraham's life right now. God had called him out of a land. He'd given him a promise that was a miraculous promise that God had to do something that only God can do. God provides him a son. And then God comes along and says, Abraham, go and sacrifice your son on this mountain. That was verses 1 and 2. Verse 3 tells us that he got up right away and he began to prepare. This was a man of faith. He trusted God. And he gathered the wood and he gathered the knife and he gathered some servants together and they began to journey. For three days they journeyed to an unknown land for him. And they arrived at an unknown mountain that God had directed them to. And, they, and as they're going, Isaac is a smart young man. He puts two and two and three together. And he puts it together and he says, Father, we have wood, we have the knife, but where is the lamb. And we see in verse number eight, Abraham responds in faith. Will you imagine the trepidation? Not knowing the future, just having faith. And he says, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So went both of them together. They continued journeying on, not knowing how God was going to provide. As they get to the top of this mountain, this mountain is a very historic place. Historians tell us this is the same mountain that Abraham and Isaac were on top of. It's where the center of Jerusalem is right now. It's the mountain on which the temple would stand later. It's the mountain on which the sacrifices would be made for the Passover and all these various things. And you as a church sent me to Israel. And six weeks ago, I was, on a Sunday morning, I was standing on that very place on the mountaintop. And we're standing there thinking all the historic things that are taking place on this spot. And as Abraham bound his son and prepared the altar and put him on the altar, preparing himself to sacrifice his son because that's what God told him to do. And he raised his hand, ready to lower the knife. And God sent an angel in the very last moment. He told him, Abraham, stop. And you imagine the relief from Abraham. Knowing that God was going to provide. That passage continues on in verses 13 and 14. And it says, And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and looked, and behold, 
Behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Which I always thought this little verse was funny because all along this ram was there. God just closed his eyes to it. But, you know, just typical guys just didn't look. And God put him in the right place at the right time. He saw what he needed to see at exactly the right time. And he goes, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. You may know that place and that name as the Hebrew name, Jehovah Jireh. God is provider. And it says, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. God continue to speak through that angel and the angel speaks the word of God reminding Abraham of God's promise once again and he says this the words of God I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand on the seashore and your offering shall possess the gate of his enemies and verse number 18 is why I told that whole story for this one little verse right here and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. 4,000 years ago, God provided a lamb as a sacrifice. He provided a man who was Abraham, who would have a son named Isaac, who would have a son and have a son, have a son all the way down to a man named Jesus. And Jesus, 2,000 years ago, fulfills that very promise we found in 4,000 years ago where the whole world will be blessed. Jesus comes along and blesses the whole world through his salvation. In the book of Galatians, chapter number 4, verses 4 and 5, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Why? so that we might receive adoption as sons. 4,000 years ago, God made a promise because he had a plan all along. He was going to use Abraham to bless the whole world because he was going to be the forefather of Jesus. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes to earth and lives a perfect life, dies a cruel death on a cross, so that he could fulfill this, and so we can receive adoption into the family of God. And now here we are today. Today, looking back 2,000 years, looking back 4,000 years, how will you respond when we understand that God had a plan from the beginning of time? We, have, we need to look at my life. Look at your life. God had a plan from the beginning of time for mankind's redemption. You're in that plan. And so therefore, it stands to reason, if God from the beginning of time had a plan, and all these things are taking place exactly the way that God wants them to take place, and you're in the right place at the right time, even now hearing this message, it stands to reason that God has a plan for your life too. Society tells you that you are a cosmic accident. God tells you, I have a plan and a purpose for your life because I love you. God's plan is a plan of redemption. Secondly, we see God's lamb. 
the lamb that needed to be examined, the examination. This week is known as the Passover week. And in Jewish custom and tradition, they would begin preparing themselves for the Passover at the end of the week. And it's not something you just get up one day and you're ready for it. It takes preparation and planning in order to prepare yourself for the Passover. And that's exactly what was taking place 2,000 years ago when God began to fulfill the promise of Abraham 4,000 years ago. When he says, God will provide for himself the Lamb. This is a time of preparation for the nation of Israel as they prepare themselves for the Passover. On the 10th of Nisan, Nisan is the month of the year. We're in April in the Jewish calendar is the, the month of Nisan. On the 10th day of Nisan is the day of preparation where the families would go out and they would purchase a lamb. Or they would go into their flock and they would choose a lamb. The book of Exodus, in verse, chapter number 12, lays out the foundation and the requirements for what this lamb was supposed to be. You don't just go and get any old lamb or the one that you don't really don't want anyway you, to, in order to sacrifice and have as the Passover meal lamb. They would take the lamb on the, on the 10th day and they would take it into their home. And it's not because they wanted it to be safe from thieves or they just particularly wanted a smelly lamb in their house. It was because it was a time of examination. They were examining this lamb to make sure that it fit. It needed to be a a lamb without blotch or blemish, without spot, without any ailments, physical ailments. It had to be a certain age. It had to be a year old lamb. All these various requirements. And so during that week of examination... They were examining the lamb to ensure that it was ready to be used for the Passover sacrifice and also the Passover meal used in their houses. So everyone would have a little lamb in their home. Every family group would have a little lamb in their home as they're examining it. That's the same week and the same, rather the same day that Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the triumphal entry is the day of the gathering of the lambs and on that day we see in the book of mark chapter number 11 verse number 7 and they brought the colt to jesus and threw their cloaks on it and sat on it and many spread their cloaks on the road others spread leafy branches that had been cut from the fields and those who went before and those who followed were shouting now i'm not going to shout it to you i'm just going to say it with with enthusiasm But you imagine this group of people celebrating and shouting and praising God with Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember that name Hosanna literally means, it's a compound word in the Greek that literally means, please save us. They're crying out, please save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is is the coming kingdom of our father David. Please save us. Hosanna in the highest. They're crying out to Jesus as Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem. He'd entered in from the east side, down in a little town called Bethany. And they go up over the Mount of Olives, down another valley, which is where the Garden of Gethsemane is, up toward the temple area, and the other side of that is Jerusalem. And so they had a journey to walk through, and people were crying out, Hosanna, save us, please. 
And Jesus begins a week of examination. Quite interestingly, if you look at the, the Gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you have the story of the life of Jesus. But in reality, the majority of the Gospels is broken up with all of them tell of his birth, and then they have a large section of the last week of his life. That last week is actually percentage-wise the, the vast majority of each of the Gospels. And there's a lot going on in that time. There's a lot of examination. There's a lot of information that makes me incredibly frustrated because I want to share it and I don't have the time to. So we'll have it another Sunday. The good thing is there's always another Sunday coming. And as Jesus goes into Jerusalem, he opens himself up for examination. And it's examined by the religious leaders. It says in the book of Mark, chapter number 12, verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. They were looking to make him stumble. Other passages of the Bible talk about the Sadducees coming in and trying to question him. And they were looking to make Jesus no longer worthy of being the spotless Lamb of God. As his cousin John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was opening himself up for examination. And as he was being questioned, as he was, they were trying to trick him in his words and his thoughts, Jesus responded with correct answers and with Scripture time and time again, leaving the religious leaders baffled at the words of Jesus. And his disciples going along, confused of what's really taking place. They didn't fully understand what was going to take place at the end of that week. They thought it was just another Passover, another time when Jesus was teaching. All along Jesus' examination, it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, Jesus, the Son of God, one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. And the last line of underline on the screen for you is fantastic. Yet without sin. You see, Jesus, because of God's plan from the very beginning, submitted himself for examination and he showed himself to be the spotless Lamb of God who was ready and willing and worthy of being the sacrifice for your sin and for my sin. And today, if Jesus really is God, and if Jesus really is the spotless Lamb of God, which I believe with my whole heart, that changes everything. Knowing that God had a plan from the very beginning, and he provided himself a lamb, and that lamb is a man named Jesus for our salvation. That's our third point, is God's man is our salvation. After that week of examination began the Passover. And Jesus sent out John and Peter in order to go and prepare the Passover lamb. And what they would do, they take the lamb to the temple and it would have been sacrificed in a certain way by the priest. And they would take in the blood and put it upon, upon the altar with the little hyssop branch. And they would have taken that lamb back and prepared it for the meal that evening. And on the meal table, there's a lot of history and a tradition within the Jewish Passover meal. They would have had four different cups. And the, the meal is, isn't just some fast meal. One of my wife's 
probably greatest frustrations, although she doesn't share it all the time, is not just me. <laughs> it's the fact of she is an amazing cook. And she makes these amazing meals that I know take hours of preparation. And then we come in ravished and hungry. Like Christmas lunch, we are so hungry. And we sit down and we go, and literally 15 minutes later, we're like, oh, it's so full. This isn't some long preparation and then a fast meal. This is actually a very long, drawn out Passover meal that takes several hours. And through this time, the disciples are, are, are laying around the table in, in, in traditional um, Eastern form. And they're going through different sections. There's four different wine cups that they would have drunk from. And each cup symbolizes a different section of the meal. They would have had on the table there, they would have had bitter herbs, which would remind them of of the bitterness of being in slavery and what God has brought them from. They would have salt and they would have water and they would have unleavened bread, bread without yeast in it, a flat bread. And of course, as well as they would have the roasted lamb. And through the course of the meal, they would go through each section. And the four courses uh, is the, the cup of sanctification, the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, the cup of acceptance, or some people call it the cup of praise. And that's taken from the book of Exodus, chapter number 6, where God is encouraging and challenging His people with some I will statements. And God says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's the, the cup of sanctification. I'll bring you out. I will deliver you from slavery. That's the cup of deliverance. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. That's the cup of redemption. And he says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. That's the cup of acceptance and praise. And through that meal, a number of things took place. Jesus is teaching and talking through the meal, and it's a very solemn time. And after one of the cups, the disciples begin to discuss among themselves which one of them was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus, after that, goes and washes the disciples' feet. In John 13, it, it, it describes that, the washing of the disciples' feet. And as Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, he's teaching them about servant leadership. And he's teaching them about servant leadership and thinking beyond just the immediate and thinking of the big picture. And Jesus knew exactly what had taken place in Judas's heart. He knew that Judas had already prepared and made provisions and plans to betray him. And Jesus continued to wash and even washed Judas' feet. And then after that, Judas was released to go and do what he was supposed to do. The disciples did not understand what was taking place. They just saw Judas get up and leave the room. And they I think, talked among themselves. In fact, the scripture records the fact that they were confused at why he was leaving. They, they surmised in their heads, maybe he, we forgot something and he's been told, quickly, go buy it and come back quickly. Or they thought, maybe he's gone to give some money to the poor. Not knowing that Judas was left to betray Jesus. And after Judas has left, Jesus takes the bread and takes the cup and he gives it a new meaning, what we observe as communion or the Lord's Supper. 
and he takes it and gives it a brand new meaning. And it says in the book of Mark, chapter number 14, this is Jesus talking, and as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them and and said, take This is my body. That's why later on at the end of the service when we have communion together, we observe the little bread piece and the the little bit of juice here, which is a picture of Jesus' body. And it continues on. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. That's why when we observe communion, we observe the bread representing Jesus' Jesus's body and the juice representing Jesus' blood. And then Jesus says, in verse 25, and he continues and says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And at the end of that time, the scripture says, and they sang a hymn together. And in Jewish custom, what they would sing is they would sing a number of the psalms throughout the the course of the meal. They would sing the psalms between 113 and 118. They were called the halals, which literally means the praise. And History tells us that at the end, they would sing what's known as the great halal, which was Psalm 136. And I'm not going to read the entire psalm to you today. There's 26 verses. And at the end of every verse, it says, For your steadfast love endures forever. So I'm not going to make you sing, sing it today. But what I am going to do is I'm going to wake you up a little bit. I'm going to read not the whole psalm. I'm going to read certain verses through this. And as I read, I'm going to pause and then together we're all going to say, for his steadfast love endures forever. Can we do that together? And let's make the first time we do it just as enthusiastic as the final time we do this. So it begins with this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. And it continues on, and this is the final line of that psalm. It says, Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. You imagine being in that upper room, The upper room today is now a a chapel. And it's a chapel that was built in the 11th century by the Crusaders. And this chapel is incredibly beautiful and ornate. And it's packed full of people all the time with a long line out the door. And literally you walk in with a crowd of people and it's very echoey. The acoustics are beautiful in there. And you kind of miss the feeling of it because of the crowds of people. But you imagine as a disciple, you've just gone through the Passover And you don't fully understand what's going to happen next. And Jesus says, let's go. And you make your way across the city to the other side, down a valley, into the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus is soon arrested. He's spending time in prayer, asking God to remove the cup from him. 
And finally, after he's arrested and tried and he's crucified, at the end, right before he passes away, his arms on the cross, he cries out, I thirst. And then they give him a drink. And then he cries out with a loud voice. And and he says, it is finished. And the Bible says, and he bowed his head and gave up. It wasn't taken from him. He gave up his spirit. 4,000 years ago, we had a promise from God that God was going to provide a lamb for himself. God was going to provide a lamb. 2,000 years ago, we see that lamb, and that lamb has a name. His name is Jesus. And now today, you could have been anywhere today, but God brought you here. You're here today preparing ourselves for a Friday, and for a Sunday. And as we prepare ourselves for that, we have anticipation because as dark as the crucifixion was, the celebration on the Sunday is wonderful. And I look forward to sharing with you the wonderful joy of the resurrection next Sunday. But in a few moments' time, we're going to observe communion. And when we do that, the book of 1 Corinthians talks about uh, how we are to observe communion. It says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's normally when we stop reading that passage. But we continue reading in 1 Corinthians 11. We see in verse 27, and it says, Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. Then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So my encouragement to you over the next few minutes, we're going to see a video in just a moment. That's a video talking about Jesus' triumphal entry and Jesus saying yes to save us, saying yes to Hosanna. I want to encourage you, spend some time in prayer between you and the Lord. In your examination, allowing God to examine you. They relieved the palms of their branches as the people's palms grasped and then brandished those leafy emblems of both festival and rebellion. These were a people who felt as though they had already spent their second, third, and last chances on zealots, men like Barabbas and that now famous Maccabean. But this Jesus, this new champion, was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey as Zechariah had envisioned him. This king was coming to daughter Zion to take the wicked Roman chariots away from Ephraim. Surely this Jesus was the one to bring God's people salvation. Surely he was the one pictured all across the prophet's hopeful panorama. So they shouted, save us please. They cried, Hosanna, Hosanna. And this Jesus would answer yes to their cry of save us, save us, but not in the way they expected, not by the violent overthrow predicted by their palmy political propaganda. For the humility of that donkey was nothing compared to the way he would answer their shouts of Hosanna. 
For the path on which he rode took him not to a throne, but to a court, not to a place fit for a heavenly king, but to the feet of an earthly lord. It was there, before another crowd, in the hands of Pilate, whom God endowed with the power to answer the shouts rising loud, demanding crucifixion for this man who was so recently avowed as Hosanna by those who had laid down a pathway of both palm branch and personal shroud. It was there that he would show how he would answer both crowds both the Hosanna save us cry and the incessant crucify. For what was missed by each tribe, by those who cried out their Hosanna boast and those who cried that this man should be nailed upon two posts is that Jesus would say no to neither request. Instead, he would say yes to both. In fact, he would accomplish salvation by such infliction. He would be Hosanna by undergoing crucifixion. He would say yes to cries of love and yes to cries of hate. And for us, it is good news that he answered this way. For we too cry Hosanna. We too need to be saved. But we also cry crucify him. We also are filled with hate. We need to be rescued from our evil, but when goodness comes to us, we take what is good and by our evil, hang it on a cross. But this is how he saves us. This is how he loves us. He answered our cry of need and our cry of hate with one final yes poured out as he cried so that the sin that put him on the cross he paid for as he died and the salvation for which we asked by his yes he supplied. So come lay down your branches and come lift up your palms for the king of our salvation said yes to the night of death so that he could raise the light of dawn jesus said yes to the question of save us let's pray lord i thank you for the sacrifice that you made on the cross for our sins Lord, we know that there's no other way. We need you as our Savior. Thank you for having a plan from the beginning of time, and you had a lamb in mind, and you knew exactly what you're going to do. In the darkness of this world, we often are confused, and we don't see the big picture, but you see the beginning from the end, and you know exactly what you're doing all along. Lord, we want to trust you and thank you for your salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for this week of memorial, but also of celebration. And Lord, I pray that we won't miss this, that we won't miss what you're doing in our lives, and through this we'll be able to proclaim your death, burial, and resurrection to others. Lord, please give us opportunity to share this love with others, even this week, even today. In Jesus' name, amen.